Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition, bright and early as it is these days at 8 o'clock Sydney time. I am Scott Phillips, waking up early on a Sunday morning, especially to talk to him, Andrew Page, who I remember from Fridays from strawman.com, but I can't quite remember what that is again. Well, you got half of it. Yeah, that's right. Just.com. No AU. Did I say that AU? Um, no AU. Oh, it's global, global enterprise, my friend. <laughs> Look at it. Did I say AU? I'm sorry, mate, if I said that. My apologies. No, you didn't. No, no, you oh, didn't. Oh, good. Okay, I, okay. No, I... I, 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 I uh, you, you have to emphasize it. It's like it's like every time when people ask your name, you go Page, and they go, "Is that P A I G E?" It's like, no, it's just P A G E. People assume that things have to be more complicated than they are. But no, there's a silent um, K on the front of Andrew, which is interesting. There, there is that. There is yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, we're we're a private online investment club. And, and what's the and fall again? I, I, I <laughs> we, pro- we provide investment advice to retail yeah, investors right. who want to find out a little bit more about the companies we think are worth buying. Either way, as I've said before, mate, whichever of the two you join, you should be joining both because they are the very two best finance-related websites and services in, I was going to say in Australia, and I was going to say the Southern Hemisphere, in the world, let's be honest, mate, let's not be too humble. In the Milky if that Way. Good, if you're that good, you might as well tell people about it. So uh, <laughs> check out fool.com.au, check out strawman.com, uh, and you will be delighted, I am absolutely sure. Mate, um, should we get stuck, struck straight into the mailbag this morning, do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's dive, All right. dive on Got in. Got this question from Tim, which I really liked, although... Tim, you, you lost me in the first point. You, uh, he redeemed himself, Andrew, is all I'm saying. He starts off, Dear okay. Scott and Ram, a long-time listener and first-time caller, have loved the show since subscribing in 2018 and now surely can't wait for Andrew's Web3 deep dive episode on the pod in near future. <laughs> Tim, 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 Tim. Lucky the rest a, of your questions. It won't surprise you that I've got a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky that uh, the rest of your question was good. He says, my question is a reply to the question and particularly Ram's response to Moose on the podcast of the 28th of August. This was around the subjectiveness of company valuations. Uh. As part of your nicely detailed answer... You commented you could guarantee that in 10 years' time, you'd look back and cringe on some of your decisions that you made today. I'm on the same page, by the way, before he just says it was about you. We both agree to that. I thought about this further, and I was wondering how this concept would relate to broad-based index investing. I know this is related to risk and reward, but let's break down the scenario a little further with this thought exercise, says Tim. Say, in one decade's time, It'd be hard to imagine you'd have any major regrets or realizations you were wrong if you had consistently invested in broad-based index ETFs. Remembering also that you will probably be better off than most individual stock investors. Now let's move that one decade to say six decades or a lifetime of investing for most of us. I would now really imagine that as the index investor, your regret is almost 0% or very few realized mistakes in your strategy over this time period. Compare this to the individual and stock picker over this time, whose regrets would likely be a long list, along with their realised mistakes to boot. To go along with this, we know the individual stock picker is really up against it in their likelihood of outperforming the simple index investor over this long time period. If I'm brand new to investing and being presented with these two options for a lifetime investing choice, particularly from a psychological point of view, I know what option sounds way more appealing to me. Would love to hear your thoughts. That's from Tim. I like mm. the way he's thought through this question, mate. Mm. Um, I... Yes. 
<laughs> I am going to let you answer first. I was going to clarify something in this question, but I'll do it. You, you, you give your thoughts and I will, I will jump in. I mean, Tim's not wrong. I mean, it, it's a personal, it's a very personal kind of decision you have to reach. And I think for the for most people, ETFs are the way to go. And just, just 100%. You know, it feels... Mm. It feels wrong to sort of say that for pure self-interested <laughs> reasons, <That's> right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and and I don't do it. I'm, well, I do actually. That's mm-hmm. not, that's not true. I, I've got ETFs. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. I mean, it, it, it it's really uh, it, it's always needs to be looked at through the lens of opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about pure financial opportunity cost here. It's just opportunity cost in terms of time. Because if you're going to do the stock picking thing, you've got to invest the time in it. And who wants to do another job or extra work? I mean, if you're one of those weird nerdy types that actually enjoys it, <laughs> um, like like you and I do, I like yeah, yeah, yeah it, exactly. Sounds really, you know, yep. And I always mention that because I think that's key. I think if it, mm. if this stuff feels stressful and it feels like work, then don't do it. God, why would you do? There's enough. There's <laughs> enough balls in the air for all of us, right? Exactly. Like you don't need it. Yeah, Least of all, if you're going to get yeah. maybe, and this is you know realistically. I, look, if I hit my deathbed and I'm and I'm outperforming the market by two or three percent, I'm pretty happy with that. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, it probably puts me in the top decile of of, of, of private investors. You know, I'm pretty mm. pretty pleased with myself. That's a good but result, others, exactly. Yeah, others will look at it and go, "Really, yeah. all of that work for that?" <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I, I I turn around and say, "Well, you know, it kind of adds up over time." But I'd also mm. say, "It's just like, yeah, but it's 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 a hobby, it's a passion." I've, I've said to you before, if I win the Powerball yeah. one week, yeah. I'll still be picking stocks and. Placing yeah. trades because I I enjoy, I enjoy the the intellectual pursuit of it, so I think that to me is I think that is a really big one and it's it's because if 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 you have that you're more likely to do it you're more likely to stay at it you're more likely to get better better at it mm-hmm. uh, as well um, so it's kind of like that to me seems to be the biggest determinant if that's not it and your only goal here is to be financially prudent and build long term wealth. Um, yeah, buy an ETF and then go do the things that excite you in this life. Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree, actually. So, you know, to, to it, the answer, if you say, I know what appealing sounds, what sounds make more appealing to me, that's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> you answered it, you answered it for yourself. A um, couple of thoughts for me, um, Tim. I, I want to push back a little bit on the, the investor, um, really up against it, trying to perform the simple index investor. Um, the average fund manager is going to lose to the average index investor because... The fund, oh sorry, the average fund investor. Let me be really clear. Is going to lose to the index because the fund manager charges a big fee, and so on average, the, the you know the the average result for the the market is all of us added together, and if someone's sucking out fees out of that average, by definition, the average fund investor must lose to the market because there's a fee to be paid for what's going to be averaging market performance, right? That's just at large. And Warren Buffett's written beautifully about this, but the individual stock picker will probably average the market. Because you can back out that, that there's no fee being paid, right? And so mm-hmm. at that point, it is literally apples for apples. In fact, and without, I don't want to over-egg this because it's not a big deal, but you, you've got to pay a tiny, 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 tiny fee to buy the ETF. Um, other brokerage, there's no fees for being an individual investor. So it's even possible the individual investor could, on average, just pip the index investor. But it's so close. It's, it's, like it's, it's a non... I, I make the point only for academic purposes. That doesn't matter. Mm. And I'm not trying to make the case, by the way, Tim, that therefore you should pick stocks. Because you're right, the average stock picker We'll still do the same as the average index investor. So, that, you know, statistically, there is no value. And we've talked about this before, mate. I'm pretty sure I've done it on the podcast, maybe even recently. That's the big, um, uh, that's the big challenge with investing broadly. At a, at a global level, my advice to everyone is ETF. 
mm. because everyone can't beat the market, so why would you try? But individually, someone is going to beat the market by definition because there is always going to be a distribution of returns. And so, you know, the individual who can beat the market should, but everybody should, should index invest. And that, by definition, is a, is a contradiction, and, and, it, and it should be, right? Because that's, mm. that's, that is exactly what's going on. At an individual level, if Andrew can beat the market over the next 40 years, someone's going to have to lose for Andrew to, to win as in versus the market. That person should have got ETFs. Andrew should keep picking stocks. But if I don't know in advance, I'm talking to a room full of 400 people saying, what should I do? The answer is, well, as a group, we should all index invest because we'll all get a better result than if we didn't. And so it's, it's, it is exactly that oxymoron, which is, is really worth it. It'll, it'll, it'll break your head if you try and think about it too long. But that's, that's the reality. So to your point, Tim, I don't think the average index investor will beat the average stock picker. I think it'll be roughly line ball. But even to that point, why, as Andrew why would you do? why would you go through the effort and hassle? Um, but because some people will try and will lose, then by definition, someone will try and will win. And if you can be that second group, then you should do that because there's bonus returns on offer. And that is the paradox. I tell you a quick anecdote because it yeah. happened just last night. Caught up with some friends. One of them's just gotten a um, promotion and a, yep. and a bit of an extra pay rise, and he's sort of just talking about you know what you should do with the extra money or whatever. And uh, I was just like, oh man, just you, we're all goldfish, right? You adapt to your tank. So you've just been put in a bigger tank. You probably grow to to fit that tank. Whereas I w- I would say, you know, just live your life as you have lived it up till now, and put everything else mm. into oh, so investing. So right, true. just just you won't you won't notice it. Um, yeah, yeah. But then, and 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 he's like, oh, I don't know what to do with it. So I just buy an ETF. <laughs> and another friend of mine was there said, uh, "Don't listen to Andrew because I had this conversation with him a year ago, and me and my wife have put all our money in ETFs, <laughs> and, we're now, and we're down we're down fifteen percent. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, this is why you never give advice yeah. to family and friends, right? Yeah." And so I could turn around and sort of say, oh, dude, come on. You know, it just so happened that the whole market's gone down in that period of time. And, you know, and he said, yeah, but you were saying that the average was 10%. I was like, yeah, that's over a long period of time. Like, the market never gets 10% every year. Yeah. It's just sort of like, you know, you know what? Yeah. Take all your money out and put it under the mattress, right? And then come back to me in 20 years time and then, and then tell me that you did the right thing. Yeah. You know, or do you want to be down 10, 15% one year, up 30% the year after that, down 20%? He's going to be all over the place, but that's, that, yeah. that is the price of outperformance and long-term wealth creation. And if you're not prepared to take the ticket to that dance, then that's fine. I mean, I don't care. You do you. But you just you just don't get to have your cake and eat it too. You don't get the, the, the benefits that come with all of this with, with no volatility. It just doesn't happen. So it's up to you. There's no right, again, as I said at the beginning, there's no right or wrong, but there is always an opportunity cost here. And if yeah. you want to just like, you know, if you want to uh, put it all in cash and put it under the mattress, you, you can do that. And and you won't lose a cent um, nominally. Mm. You'll lose, yeah. you lose a hell of a lot in inflation terms mm. Mm. and in opportunity cost terms, but that's cool. That's cool. That yeah, You just have to be exactly. aware of, of, of what you do. But I just make that point too because I'm sure there'll be others that, that, that listen to this and go, yeah, actually, I remember you guys saying about how good ETFs were. I'm, I'm, I look at my statement and I'm poorer. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. I just, I just don't know how to. I don't, I don't know how to have, and no one does, by the way. I don't know how to have the, all the benefits that come with equity markets. And just let's break it down: investing in productive enterprises without without that volatility. And if anyone offers you a solution that gives you the best of both worlds, then run a mile. <laughs> That's because they're, they're called Bernie Madoff. <laughs> um, so yeah. Anyway, point point made. Agreed. Agreed. Um, 
Yes, I think that's that's very good advice, mate. It's uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yes. I'll, I'll extend I, it this yes. a little bit. I'll no, extend go, it go. this a little bit though. Oh, so he's go. like, yeah, but but that's the trouble with you finance people, right? It's sort of like when it goes up, you take all the credit, but when it goes down, oh, it's just volatility. Oh, you've just got to think long term. And like, yeah, it does sound like that, doesn't it? It's mate, like, do me about what if, if I was scamming you? Put it in your back pocket and give it to him and say, mate, look at this. I know, it's, I know. It's why super it's, so bloody great, mate, can I say, for all of this stuff. Like, yeah. honestly, saving people from themselves is the number one benefit of super. It makes you put money aside. It doesn't let you touch the money. It makes you let time do the work. For all mm-hmm. the stuff we've, we, yeah, we talk about, it's like, you know, give, give super whatever grief you want. And yes, it can be better and fees can be lower and all those things are true. The result that the average Australian gets in 25 years' time from super is going to be, I think, literally multiples what that would have happened had they not had super at all. Even if, oh, even if super right. is the third worst thing yeah. in the world, the very worst yeah. is not having it at all. You know, just, just yes. like yeah. make it better for sure. It's like we started with on Friday. Um, you know, are there things to fix? Yes, of course. Does that invalidate the idea of super? Not even bloody close. It just it no. saves us from ourselves. Yep. Yep. Um, email from Satish May who says, uh, oh, geez, it's a bit formal. Hi, Mr. Phillips and Mr. Page. Mm. Oh, Satish, I hope you'll. Uh, I hope you'll uh, excuse me. I'm not going to. You've also used uh, other titles through the through the um, the question. I'm just going to. I'm just going to say Andrew and Scott because mate, we're not uh, we're not misters. Uh, I'm a long term listener and want to convey my appreciation and thanks for the service you provide. I have a question for the mailbag. While reading a book by Paul Clitheroe, the book is a bit dated. He says I came across a type of investing called endowment warrants. This is where one purchases shares at a fraction of their current value, and the rest is a loan secured against the shares. The idea being the dividends from the shares will have gradually eliminate the debt. This way I can capture all the benefits of a share's dividends plus all of its capital growth without paying full price for the shares. This seems too good to be true, says Satish. Mm-hmm. Does such a thing like this exist? And if yes, how do we invest in endowment warrants? Thank you very much for your time and patience. And then that's a great question. But Satish even goes yeah. further because Satish says, P.S., I would like to vote for you guys to win the Australian Podcast Awards this year. I'm pretty sure once nominated, it's a no-brainer. Who will win both the business and the education category? It's very kind. The nomination closed by September 27. Hopefully you guys get this email before then you enter the competition so we can make you win. The bad news is, by the time this goes to air, we're not going to have another episode until the competition closes. So we've missed the boat, Satish, <laughs> but thank you for the idea. Thank you for the thought. Thank you for the very, very kind words. Um, I know endowment warrants is installment warrants, Andrew, but I think they're the same thing, aren't they? Jeez, I've been so many years since I looked at these things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think you might be right. That, look, they they are they're, they're not as dodgy as they seem. They're legitimate yeah. products. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'll go as far as I think is Paul Clitheroe is talking about them. You can you you know he's, he's got a he's yeah. got a pretty reliable brand. I, I'd yeah. say it's um, it's it's a pretty sensible mm-hmm. kind of thing. They are hard to come across. Um, You've yeah. got to look out for them. I'm trying. What, where I'm, I'm sort of stalling a bit for time here because I'm there is, there is always a cost in there. Well, there, there is a compromise. Like, well, why wouldn't why wouldn't everyone do that if that was a thing? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Maybe you can you can help finish that thought for me while I ponder it a bit more deeply because it escapes yeah, me at this exact I'll, point. I'll have a go, mate. So look, um, uh, I think it's look, it's warrants aren't aren't conceptually a terrible idea. They're a form of kind of guaranteed margin loan without a, without a margin call. And, and mm. I've talked a lot about the fact that, you know, um, the problem with margin loans that aren't, they don't exist with almost any other type of debt across most of consumer and investment debt is the idea of a margin call, right? If the arbitrary price, I mean, not if it's value, but it's price falls below a certain level, you can be asked to repay some or all of the loan. 
and that and that can be a real killer because you know a simple example um after pay went from 40 to five dollars during the covid crash they're back up to 100 after that and if yeah. you'd have had to sell your shares at some point on the way down even though they then went up two and a half fold from 40 to 100 because they went down via five you would almost certainly would have been margin called out of those shares at that point and so you, they, you wouldn't have been around oh you could have put some money in if you had enough money to, to cover the call otherwise you lost the shares and you never never benefited from the upside mm. so an endowment warrant uh, or an installment warrant does do similar things there are different types of warrants there are equity warrants endowment warrants portfolio warrants capital plus warrants all sorts of stuff um, so mm. be, be a little bit careful a couple of thoughts first is somebody who's providing this in the trade they call people who make these things product manufacturers which is actually a remarkably unusual uh thing in finance where actually they've actually just called it straight because this is exactly what they do right <laughs> there's fund managers who manage the funds these guys they're product they're making things for you to buy and what I love about calling them product manufacturers, and again, the industry calls it that. This is not my euphemism. It's actually what it's called. And mm-hmm. it's literally what it is, right? It's like, what could we do to earn us money that other people might buy? And by that's not terrible, right? Like widget makers do that. iPhone makers do that. You know, this is, it's commerce, right? It's what happens. But it's worth remembering that kind of concept because as you think about, you know, what, what's in it for me or what's in it for them, someone makes a product available to you because they think you might do it and they might make some money off it. So that's the first thing. Second mm-hmm. thing is... The dividends pay off the shares, but you don't get to use that dividend money for anything else, including buying more shares with that money. So you're kind of dragging your purchase price forward to do so. Uh, and that's not even necessarily either a bad thing. Just be mindful that over that period of time, uh, you may have used that dividend money for something else, uh, or you could have saved money in advance and done different things with it. So just keep that in mind. Uh, third one, you probably have tax payable on that um, dividend there's probably also a tax deduction for the interest so be careful and that's my last point is they often come with interest cover with one form or another um, no one's going to give you a the opportunity to buy an endowment warrant for free uh, they're not doing other kinds of their heart whether they get a share of the dividends whether you have to pay some interest whether the final price is higher because they capitalize some of that interest they're all questions that are worth asking um, i don't think they are necessarily terrible investments I have, I think I bought a Telstra installment warrant when they were first uh, floated because you could pay an upfront oh, yeah. amount and then the rest later. So that it happens. Um, I have never been motivated to buy an endowment warrant. I can't imagine doing so. Um, there'll be some people listening who are accountants or financial advisors who have particular reasons why in some circumstances they might work. And they're not, you know, again, if you're lucky and things go the right way, you can make money, but someone's providing it to you because they can make a dollar off you. So just be careful of where that fee's going, whether it's interest or fees or a higher strike price or something else. The, the other thing I just thought of was, um, and, and potentially a big one, it's kind of like not a risk until it is, which is the um, the risk of counterparty risk yeah. in the sense that the issuer goes bankrupt. You know, and so yeah. there are plenty of people who transacting with Lehman Brothers not that long ago who yes. found out that the hard well, way. Those Lehman so. Brothers, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they seem like now it's kind of like it's 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 associated with disaster. But but prior to that, mm-hmm. it was it was oh, yeah. an institution yeah. that had been around for a hundred years. I mean, <laughs> yeah. to think that it would collapse was unthinkable. Yeah. And again, yeah. I don't. And that's not to say that's not to say if you're buying these things that you should be real. It's really risky because they you you know these things yeah. will go bankrupt. Probably won't. I mean, it's probably a low risk, but it's again, it's a non-zero risk, and it's worth mentioning. Yeah, I think that, that's exactly right. That's something just to have a have a think about. Um, uh, question from Sergey. Uh, hang on, uh, yeah, Sergey. Uh, th- uh, thanks for a very interesting podcast. I'm new to share investing, even though I'm accum- I've accumulated a sizable portfolio while I've been employed by one of the big four 
through employee share scheme and reinvesting dividends in some of my bonuses. Nice work. Over the last 18 years, it showed me that compound interest and reinvestment of dividends works wonders. I always knew I needed to diversify, but I never knew where to start. This has changed as I came across Scott's guest appearance on the Property Couch podcast. And I heard you talk about passive investments via ETFs and the chart. Yes, the Vanguard 30-year investment <laughs> chart. Ever since, I've started listening to Motley Fool and now ready to take action. I've got some money put aside for my kids, 8 and 10, that I've accumulated a start a deposit for. I really like the strategy of investing 10% of earnings and doing it 50-50 into global and ASX ETFs. And I would like to get the kids to learn this from a young age to give them a start into the future. I'd also like to invest in ETFs for my retirement as well. <laughs> I, can't be- I, I can't believe, but the chart, yes, the 30-year Vanguard investment chart, managed to convince my better half, who never wanted to hear about investments outside property, we have a few under our belt, but this could be a good idea. So, as I'm new to ETF investing, I have a few novice questions. Firstly, uh, great, great comment. Great. I'm glad it's been helpful. And yes, I bang on about the chart. I don't even apologize. Uh, question one, looking at maximizing money for investment. I'm looking at the most cost-effective ETF platforms. However, by doing research, I realized that the low-cost propositions use a custodian model rather than chess sponsored. Do I need to worry about it? What's the risk? I'd also like to make regular contributions every month. So zero brokerage is very appealing. Chess versus non-chess, mate? Chess. Chess every day. Yeah. You mentioned uh, counterparty risk before about, um, you know, one of, the, one of the structured product manufacturers going broke. I, yeah. it, chess is insurance, and it's just the world's cheapest insurance. Chess sponsored is more expensive because they have to pay to be part of the system, uh, and that sucks on a, on a monthly basis if you're paying brokerage. The day you need it, it will be the cheapest insurance in the entire world, and with everything, you know, I, I put food on the table, I put juice in the car and, and you know uh, milk in my kids mouths and then after that I'd pay chess because it just, it's just mm. you know, it's insurance it's, it's just not worth avoiding um, I get zero brokerage it makes a whole lot of sense I get why you'd want to not pay brokerage it, here's the thing mate do you need to worry about it probably not it's like that, that structured party structured product counterparty going broke is it likely yeah. no really super unlikely yeah. but if it does <laughs> and if you lose a meaningful amount or most of your invested cash because you try to save a couple of bucks on brokerage, you will kick yourself for the rest of your life. And for me, mm. I, I'm, I'm not massively risk averse, but that's a really, really small price to pay for effectively a lifetime of, of confidence. Yep. Uh, that's an easy one. Just. Also, should I decide to change broker platforms, what's involved to move from one to another? Reading reviews for some, quotes, cost-effective platforms, there are lots of, company, lots of complaints about how hard it is to withdraw the money. I wouldn't want to sell to move platforms, no, absolutely, and all the tax implications, but would want to have the option to take my investments somewhere else. Should I get more confidence and decide to venture out in more involved investment options, such as direct investments later on? Should I play safe and go with established players such as Comsec, or should I trust the young kids on the block? Hmm. So it's not as hard as, as people make out. It's, it's harder than it should be. It's harder yeah. than it needs to be. There's, and they know, make it harder it, so you don't leave, right? Is the other thing. Of course they do. Yep. But it's, at the end of the day, it's, it's yours. You own it. You can fill out the forms and you can go through the process. Yep. Yep. I think you need to be wary of... Um, it's sort of like the... Um, people can be penny wise, pound foolish to yep. sort of use that term. It's sort of like if I'm going to say... If I'm paying 10 bucks mm-hmm. a trade here and 8 bucks a trade there, you know, really... 
for someone who's just sort of maybe dollar cost averaging once a quarter, I mean, really, it's it's not the biggest thing in the world that it's, it's going to add up to anything meaningful. But yeah, at the same time, you know, I, I think I think you should you should be prudent about you know the the costs that you are paying. I think the thing you want to make sure that you you look for is is that wherever you go, that they obviously offer uh, chess sponsorship. That's important. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a thing called the NGF, is it National Guarantee Fund, which actually protects you. It's very rarely talked about. Um, yeah, yeah. But every listed company needs to pay a bit of a fee that sort of tips into this. So who was that broker that went broke a little, well, a long Opus while Prime. ago? It was Storm. Oh, Opus Prime, yeah. And Storm. Um, but there can, there, there, can be, there can be situations where they go bankrupt, but you're still covered. You've still got – the system still provides mm-hmm. for protections. Yep, yep. So you should, be, you should be okay as long as you are the direct beneficial owner of mm-hmm. those shares, mm-hmm. even if you've transitioned to a different platform, um, you're, still, you're still okay. It's where having chess sponsorship too makes it a lot easier again. Yes. Um, yep. I have held back half an answer from the first question, mate, to this one as well. So you've, you've nailed it completely. Um, I w- if, you, if you're chess sponsored, um, well, you don't have to be chess sponsored really. It's easier to transfer those holdings from one broker to another uh, if you don't, and not without selling, if you just hold a, an ETF or something else or any, any listed investment, right? If I have Woolworth shares with Comstec and I want to go to NAB trade, I can just simply tell. NAB trade or telecom sector transfer my shares to NAB and for all intents and purposes they remain my shares and there's no tax payable. So it should be easy to do. Some will charge you fees to do it. One of the brokers I've heard of, I haven't verified this, I won't name them, charges 50 bucks per position to transfer out. So if you've got, I don't know, 10 companies, you might be up to 500 bucks to, to, to change and that will frankly offset most of the savings you made by slightly cheaper brokerage. So just be careful about who does that and in what, in what direction. Um, I have most of mine's with Comsec, uh, just because I have. I've also mentioned before I um, have invested some money with Perla, who I really like. Um, they're doing a great job for long-term investors. They're also chess sponsored, um, so either those I'd be happy with. I don't have a, a, any any commercial arrangement with either of those two organisations, nor does the Motley Fool. So it is what it is. Um, but they, they're both they're both good players. I, I've liked I've liked um, Perla so far, and I've used Comsec for a million years. It's not super cheap. Um, but to your point, and this is to, to the first question. There are other options that are not very often or not very well publicized these days, but still exist. And they're actually the original, very original versions of these. So with Vanguard, for example, if you want to add regularly to an ETF with Vanguard, um, you can send them a a BPAY or an electronic funds transfer. You don't have to buy and sell these things on the market. Now, doing it on market is easier and simple for all most of us because it's easy. You can see them. They're on the they're on you know um, on the platform. You're on a brokerage account. You can buy and sell easily. All that kind of stuff. But Vanguard, you can send them some money every month, and they'll simply add units to your holdings. Um, mm. I'm pretty sure that's also fee free. I think I think that's right. Um, there's a minimum to open, but after that, you can literally just uh, add regularly. So if you're going to do only that, uh, have, checking out Vanguard's direct investment choices might be something you might want to have a look at. I don't use that personally. One of our team does. Um, and apparently it's quite good. So that's just one option rather than going through a broker. If you are going to do an ETF and you're happy with the Vanguard ones, there are others out there that are all pretty good. So I'm not saying Vanguard is the only option. They are my preferred provider for reasons I've talked about before. Um, but that's one option you can do. It, it does make the whole thing a lot easier, particularly with those regular monthly investments if you want to try and minimise your, your costs. Last one. Uh, he says, I'm really drawn to the simple nature of passive investment. Again, yes, the 30-year Vanguard index chart is a great selling point. I think I've probably done that to death, have I, Andrew? It sounds like it's, uh, it's really up with, with, <laughs> with your advice. And he says, and I know it's generally in nature, thank you. 
I was trying to pinpoint which global ETF you refer to. There are so many to choose from. I am lost. Uh, so I just thought it's worth the one we talked about was the Vanguard uh, World Develop World X Australia in index ETF, which is VGS on the ASX. If you go directly with Vanguard, you can do it just directly with them. Um, the same sort of option. They've got all those. I'm pretty sure every one of those funds is available as a ETF or a straight uh, managed fund. So whichever one of those makes makes more sense for you. But that's one I talked about. Um, any other thoughts on that, Ram? Yeah, there are a lot to choose from. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I feel as though I'm doing a d- disservice. There's probably some scrappy up-and-comers who are just like really offering incredible yeah. deals and they yeah. just don't get any airtime because we all sort of, yeah. we default to the to the big guys. And <laughs> yeah. Vanguard has, well, they invented the category. And so I, and, and they have typically the lowest fees. In fact, they run a not-for-profit model. So it's sort of, I've, That's the of over yeah. the years, I've just defaulted to them. But I, and, mm-hmm. But I don't. <laughs> I should charge a commission, right? But I. I um, <laughs> they should be sponsoring the I've program got, or something. Come on, guys. Well, yeah, there's no affiliation whatsoever, and and, <laughs> and, 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 and so I yep. should be careful to to not default to them because I'm sure there are some really other great operators mm. that mm. that are out there. It's just yep. the one that I, that I that I know and, and trust and has a lot of water under the bridge to sort of sort of you know um, uh, what do they call it the Lindy effect you know the longer something has survived the more likely mm-hmm. it is to continue surviving um, uh, so yeah that's a pretty good it's a pretty good option but I'm, I'm open yep. to other ones again DYOR do your own research the main thing is is that is, is read the product disclosure statement you know are they actually owning the actual securities mm-hmm. here how is it all administered? What are the costs? There are the big ones. You'll you'll find all the all of the details there. But but when in doubt, just just default to the to the big guys. Yeah, exactly, mate. For mine, the so we we been through the Vanguard thing before. I will I will touch on what you just touched on. Then the one the one big one. So here's the thing. Because and the question is right about saying, hey, I don't want to sell and pay tax to change to change brokers, right? Here's mm. the thing. If I want to sell out of the Vanguard ASX 300 ETF and buy the beta shares ASX 200 ETF, I got to pay tax on whatever profit I've made in the process. And those slightly different ETFs, they actually, Vanguard don't have one that mirrors that directly, but let's assume they were the same. Um, you have to pay capital gains tax on the transfer. And so for me, because I intend my ETF holdings to be multi-decade holdings, I, I, you know, almost, almost, almost a, I don't know if it's a, um, a corollary to the Lindy effect or maybe an extension of the Lindy effect, but that idea of, okay, so if I'm going to aim to hold this for, let's, I'm, not, I'm not super old, let's say I'm going to try and hold this for 40 years from now, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the provider that I think has the best chance of being the best provider for most of those 40 years. Because if I went with somebody, if I went with you know, Page ETFs Incorporated and you offered me a you know, fee-free model and then in two years' time you go, oh, you changed our mind, the fee's now 10%. I, I, could, I, could, I could sell my ETF and go somewhere else. Of course I could, but I have to pay tax on that, right? Now, no, no ETF provider is going to do that, obviously. But I know Vanguard's a not-for-profit. It's always going to be a not-for-profit. It's probably always going to try and have the lowest fees or amongst the lowest fees out there. So in terms of like risk minimization or regret minimization, I, that, that's the other reason I go with Vanguard. Not only are they better today, but I just think odds are, because of the structure, I'm not going to regret picking that ETF provider at any point between now when I eventually either sell the ETF or drop off the perch. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that, that's kind of the biggest one is others could, they're, they're all competing on price right now, which is great. But at some point, they can start putting their, their fees up. And I'm kind of locked in at that point, right? If I've, we've talked about the, let, let's, let's do the, the Vanguard chart for fun. 10 grand become 130, right? So 30 years time, the, ET, the ETF provider says, actually, our fees are now 1%. I'm like, well, I've just made 120 grand profit on my 10 grand. I'd have to pay, well, I don't know what it is. What's the maths on that? 
call it somewhere between 15 and 30%. So anyhow, whatever. You know you get what I'm saying. I have mm. tens of thousands of dollars on profit to change it to avoid the fee or I've got to pay the fee. So damn if mm. I do, damn if I don't. If I can say, well, I'm going to go from 10 to 130, I want to, at that point, to be the lowest cost provider or amongst the lowest cost providers or just simply don't want to have a good reason to need to change, that's why I frankly choose Vanguard. I think it's easier. That being said, I have a BetaShares NASDAQ 100 ETF because they're the ones who provide that one. So I'm not only exclusively Vanguard. I'm happy to go wherever. Um, but given the choice, that's why I'd go with the not-for-profit option. You know, it comes up a lot on the pod, and it, it should, right? Because people are people are thinking in really smart ways. You know, I want to I want to minimize my costs. It's such, yeah. such a noble, um, correct thing to do. It, but I do think sometimes too. Um, if you were to make a list of all of the things that matter that will impact mm. your your pile of money, <laughs> mm. as it looks like at Judgment Day, <laughs> there are there are very dominant factors, and then yeah. there are little sort of like fiddling around the edges kind of thing. So, in other words, you can optimize perfectly for the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, you know, <laughs> factor perfectly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you get the big ones wrong, and it's often not. Yeah. Lot, vice versa, you get the big, really one or two, right? Mm-hmm. And then everything else, you can have the the worst, <laughs> almost structure. Well, maybe not the worst, but you know, like yeah, maybe yeah. the the tenth best option, and still be massively better off than what you would other, mm-hmm. otherwise be. Mm-hmm. And just to sort of to be a bit more specific, what it actually tends to be is is um, the returns you get. Obviously, that matters. Mm-hmm. It's better to get ten percent per annum than six percent. Like, yes. I think we can all agree on that. Yes. Um, <laughs> but the biggest factor, and actually by a lot is the amount that you add to it. Correct. So uh, if you're really serious about building wealth for yourself mm-hmm. and your family and, and wealth that will, that will go down the generations, yeah, chase, the, chase good returns, absolutely. Yep. But yep. don't fuss over whether you're going to get 12 or 11% or whether you're paying 0.1% or 0.8%. You know, not that they're not important, mm. but think about how much can I possibly tip into this machine, this compounding machine, because that will just... That will just avalanche over every other 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 thing so i guess what i'm what am i saying here don't ignore all this stuff they're, they're, you're right to think about them but just focus on focus all of your energy and, and time really on those on, on how much can i earn and how much can i afford to put aside because that's that's going to trump everything at the end of the day and then the next one is is where is the best way to get an, a, a, a pretty decent return relative to all my options relative to the risk and relative to the work that i have to put in and then the option there's pretty much going to default to a to a broad-based low-cost etf and then everything yeah. everything else is fine-tuning so i'm going to 100 percent agree with that mate with with half a half an additional point you're you're right the time frame and and contribution savings investments if you can't there's nothing you can do in it no no warren buffett can't help you with that yeah. Literally, he can't. He can't. You know, he can't turn it. Up, was it a, a, a sow's ear into a silk purse? Um, <laughs> you know, Buffett will do a great job of investing what you have and doing it, make a lot of money. Or maybe these mm. days not so much because of this thing's big. But you know what I mean. The world's best investing mm. only do so much. Mm. But I will. I will add this button, mate, because here is. I just jumped on of all things, Cancer. I just a quick Google while you were chatting, and they've done a bit of a a fee difference in superannuation, right? So I'm not going to go through all the all the details because it's too hard. Um, but they've basically said, assuming you're 25, you retire at 67. You start with a gross income of seventy-eight grand, and a starting balance for twenty-five grand in super. Mm-hmm. So they're just they're the assumptions they've started with. Um, average investment returns, fees as a percentage of balance, whatever. Basically, if nothing changes from that scenario, other than your fees, in scenario one you pay zero point seven five percent in fees in your super fund. 
In scenario two, you pay 1.5% in fees. Okay. The difference, so the person who, who pays 0.75 ends up with 850 odd grand. I'll just round it for fun. Mm-hmm. 850. The person who pays 1.5% ends up with $690,000 in, in mm-hmm. super. Mm-hmm. The difference mm-hmm. is $165,000. Yeah. Now, to your point, mate, the 25-year-old should just add an extra 100 bucks a week and will blow those numbers out of the water. Yeah. And yeah. they'll more than make up for the difference uh, yeah. many, many times over, right? If you can increase yeah. your... I really, I really want to emphasize, I'm not saying it's yes. not important. <laughs> no, no, I agree with you. It, I agree with you. And that's why I was an and rather than a, rather than a but. You're, yes. you're absolutely 100% yeah. right. Uh, focus on the big things first. But I think yeah, after... after I would, I'm gonna, can, I, can I be really out there? That if the gap is that big, I think time and contributions are the first two. I actually think investment yeah. returns come fourth behind fees in terms yeah, of yeah, your ability yeah, to yeah. influence the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, that's that. it. Just, just for... I, actually, it was, I just want to... Because uh, your, your point is well, valid. Well, it, 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 it depends with those... Reduce them. It depends where the lines cross, right? So cross, cross. If, yes. I, if I'm going to go with a boutique fund manager that's going to charge me the classic two and 20, 2% yes. for whatever funds I've got, good time <laughs> and bad, and then 20% for every outperformance. Yeah. This is a, Amazing yeah. that people still get away with this. Nevertheless, know, n- nevertheless, nevertheless, you know, if I've got a fund manager who's just the next Warren Buffett and he's getting 20% yeah. compound, yeah. I'd much rather that than the low-cost ETF Correct. that Correct. might get 8% per annum. Spot on. Spot on. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. James says, hey, Scott and Ram, thanks so much for answering my last question. Your podcast always adds a much-needed calm when things are so volatile. Man, it's the last couple of weeks. I have a question about dealing with losers. James, I assume you're not talking about Andrew. I assume you're talking about losing stocks. So let's, let's assume that's what you're going with. You didn't just ask us because you thought there's two losers. You just turn off, turn off the podcast machine. What? That's how you do it. <laughs> As a member of Extreme Opportunities, uh, one of the Motley Fool services, James says, a few of the small cap recommendations I've added money to have had the thesis not play out and are now recommended as sells. And he says generously, as to be expected in such a portfolio. And I will agree with him, though. I don't want to say I'm just making excuses. We, you know, we, the strike rate EO is about four in 10 is the expectation. So we expect to make mm-hmm. some losses. Not my service, by the way. I don't run it. But the guys are, are good investors. And that's just the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. Anyway, when it, comes to insell- when it comes to selling, though, says James, I have trouble doing it. I hold on to these stocks for two main reasons. One, I like to keep them. So the lessons to be learned from the companies are always in my face as a red down arrow in my portfolio. And two, I hold on des- I hold on to the desperate hope that a miracle will happen and the ship will turn. James, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wonder whether they aren't the opposite order when you're just being a little bit, uh, trying to give yourself a bit of a, a, an excuse here, but I'll, I'll let you decide that. James says, I suppose selling also crystallizes the losses and confirms that I was wrong and made a mistake. I'm sure, I'm feeling I'm sure lots of us big-headed male investors also struggle with, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the final risk I can see with holding onto the stocks is the temptation to average down and anchor the stock's value to the price you paid and saying the 90% discount as an opportunity when it's really a value trap. What are your thoughts, fellow armchair psychologists? Sell them or keep them? Cheers from James. Mm-hmm. Good, uh, good, good, good self-analysis, good observations. Uh, what are your thoughts, mate? Actually, I know I'll what touch gonna it. I'm, I'm going yeah. to write down right now. Write this down, and uh, if you don't mention it, I'll uh, I'll give you five bucks. Go on. Oh yeah, well, you know what I'm going to say. I do. Um, well, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll take a different tact on one of the things there, which is I really hate the idea of averaging down as a as a uh, default response. And yes. I know this is not what the listener is saying, but to falling share price, it feels like the sensible thing to do. But but obviously, you know, it can be a lot of good money after bad. 
And I've actually had far more success with averaging up, buying shares right. as they go so, up in price. Yep. And it kind yep. of makes no sense until you think about what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Often, the price is what you pay, value is what you get. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they are two very, very different things. And it is entirely possible, in fact, mm-hmm. more common than you would imagine, mm-hmm. for a share to go from a dollar to a dollar fifty and yet become cheaper. Because mm-hmm. one is just the price tag. The value behind it is what matters. Maybe the share price has gone up 50%, but the intrinsic value of the business has gone up 200%. Maybe they've just locked in a massive contract. Maybe, you know, their three next largest competitors have just all gone bankrupt. You know, maybe they've- Maybe sales and profits are growing. Maybe sales and profits are going far greater than than you thought. And the market sort of started to get wind of that and been priced in, but it's not. So it happens all the time. And that's also Mm -hmm. true on the other side too. It's just sort of like, well- you know, shares have dropped thirty percent. Well, they must be cheaper now. And I actually, no, they could be much more expensive because things are that dire at the business. <laughs> yeah, um, right. So, so don't don't cheap expensive is not a function of what the share price has done. It's what the intrinsic value of that business has done. And no one's going to tell you that. And you have to work it out. And you're never going to know for sure. Which is to just to make things you know doubly doubly tricky. But that is <laughs> that is the lens through through, through yep. which um, you you need to look at. Uh, the other one, the, the thing that you probably wrote down was opportunity cost, was it? Yeah, hey, ding, 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 ding. I couldn't, couldn't lead with that. Um, uh, yeah, and this, this is the thing. A, a couple, it's always hard for us to learn this, but the, you don't have to make your money back in the share that lost it. You know, you can press a couple of buttons. When the shares go down, well, you know, you're not paying any tax on it, so that's not a consideration. In fact, you can probably lock it in and then use that to offset some gains you've made elsewhere. Um, so I, I actually think that that is a really good thing to do. I was making the point recently on one of the straw man calls that we had is that I found that that's – I'm actually – I'm in two minds because I know that um, you've said in the past, uh, slow to buy, slower to sell, and I just think there's a huge amount of wisdom in all of that. But, but I'm also very aware of my own um, psychological frailties. Yeah. And I know that when, I'm try- when something's fallen, and not just because the price has gone down, I'm talking about something fundamentally has changed with the business or my interpretation of the facts has changed or something is, something is different than what it was when I, when I first bought it. While I am an owner of those shares, mm. I will not think objectively. Um, <laughs> I just won't. Because I'm yep. a human and I'll have that thing called the endowment effect, but just like, well, and I'll look for rationalization. So what I'm trying to get better at is that as soon as a little bit of doubt comes into my mind, particularly where there's no tax consideration, just sell, just sell. Now, that doesn't mean I sell and walk away, but it means sell, and I'm only going to pay 10 bucks in brokerage is nothing. This is really not a consideration. Yeah, I agree with um, So I'm going to sell and then I'm going to look at it and go, now I've got. Now I've realised this money. There's a bit of. Now I've turned it in from an from a security into cash. Now what do I do with this cash? It may be that putting money back into that business is the better thing to do. The price is now lower. Maybe it is cheaper. In fact, maybe I should put that money back in and then some. But I, but I want to make that appraisal without the baggage of ownership. It shouldn't make any difference. And it sounds stupid as I sort of say that out loud. But I found that it really no, it's not, me. mate. This is this is why these psychological biases are so important because they are all stupid out loud, and our egos don't let us believe it because we can't believe we'd be that dumb. Yep. But humans aren't built for investing. I've said it so many times. We're, we you literally have to fight every evolutionary impulse in our bo- in our bodies to yep. invest well. It, it, it's it's and that's why it's yep. so bloody hard. So it's not. It sounds dumb, and you're right. It does sound dumb, but it's not. It's really not because this is 
exactly acknowledging it and working on it dealing with it is exactly what we have to do it's the only way to invest well yep I said to you before, I'm going to be very careful here, lest the ATO think I'm doing wash trades, which I'm not, which I'm not. <laughs> let, me, let me be clear. But prior to the end of last financial year, uh, it wasn't a great year for me. And I had a bunch of capital losses there. Yep. And I sold them. Um, and I sold a bunch of them. And and the the... Re- the rationale was is that I'll oh, look. I've got some of these losses. I'll, I'll lock them in and I'll think about what to do with the money, mm. thinking that I might buy back into some of them in similar proportions. Like I really, it really wasn't. I wasn't trying to be too fancy here. Um, and then actually, once I'd had it in cash and I looked to sort of reallocate, I really felt myself liberated and freed. And like maybe I don't have to put it back into that one. Maybe I could put it back over here. And it's just, mm. it was, I was really taken, it, knowing all of this stuff that I'm saying intellectually, I was taken aback by how profound it, it, it was in my thinking. And then I thought, well, actually, no, maybe I'll, maybe I'll put some over here and, and, or in completely different proportions. And it was just, it was a really good experience. If it wasn't for all of the tax considerations and rules, I'd almost like to sort of think that I could, I should be forced to liquidate my entire portfolio once a year mm. just for that, just yeah. for that benefit to say, yeah. right, yeah. it's not a matter of where you've got here or what's up or what's down. I've got X dollars in the market right now. And the question is always looking forward from here, knowing what I know now, where is the best best allocation for this? What, what securities and in what <coughs> weighting? And and just just ripping that Band-Aid off and then having to come back at it and to read. It's like you're building your sandcastle at the beach, right? And you've built this thing and I've spent all this time over here building this sort of section and oh, do I want to add on to this? And then a wave just washes it away. And it's like really disappointing. But now I can rebuild the whole thing and I can learn from all the mistakes I have and I've got this fresh palette. I think, I think there's a lot to be said for all of that kind of stuff. So... What am I saying? I'm not saying do wash trades. I'm definitely not saying that. Um, I am, Page but I am, <laughs> but I am, I am saying when in doubt, mm. it is probably not a terrible idea just to sell, sell a lot and then, and then step back, mm-hmm. take your time. I mean, you'll, you'll kick yourself because of the small things because you'll go, you'll do that. And then while you're sort of spending a week to sort of think about things, the share price recovers 10%. You go, oh, you know, bugger, why didn't I, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. But it's really small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. I'd much rather lose that 10%, but then come back in with a much higher degree of conviction Uh, or just be liberated to to put it completely um, into a different stock. And I'm more likely to make that decision if I don't have the shares at the time. I 100% agree with you and 100% disagree with you. So I'm going to give a different perspective, largely because I can't find fault with anything you say. But I also think because humans are humans and emotions are emotions and all that kind of stuff. The, the alternative would go like this. And this is partly just a devil's advocate, but, it, but I hope it's useful to kind of think through some of what's actually happening as we, as we think through what we might do and why we might do it. Uh, the, so a couple of things. Um, we have, you've got to be good at selling. <laughs> So um, the Motley Fool famously, infamously at least internally, did some research. Our US, so I run a service called Share Advisor. It's our flagship service here. Our, the US version of the Stock Advisor in the US because they call them stocks, we call them shares, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they did some research that the, they would be better off had they never sold a single share of any stock they recommended. And the, the, and the, yeah, what, cause what happened was 
a lot of those had come back moderately since they sold them. Not not because they were not, and the, the listener is not wait for them to possibly come back. Like James is saying, what if they come back? Um, what is the miracle? It wasn't even so much that. It was just that if a share falls from ten a dollar to ten cents, that ten cents might have gone then to fifteen cents, which is bugger all compared to your cost base. Mm-hmm. But if you're selling and taking that ten cents out to Rams yep. Point and putting it back in again. You're going to have a 50% gain just by leaving it there till it goes to 10 to 15. Now, I'm not saying they will, and I don't want people to think mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that low prices can go up faster than high prices. It's not the case. It's all proportional, right? So it's not that at all. I'm just making the point that the research they did in the US was like, if they never sold anything, they would have had more money left over. So they would have made more money. That was the... And they and what it turned out to be was the sale was almost... Oh, I don't want to put words in their mouth. I don't want to criticize anybody because I wasn't there and didn't do it. But it's almost like at that point, the sale was the capitulation trade. It's like... All right, fine, I'm finally done. Okay, fine, I'm out. I've had enough of this. Okay, I'm done. And that might be at the point of, if not maximum pessimism by the market, at least some excessive pessimism by the market. And so hanging on would have been useful in that. Now, they, that's a specific group of stock pickers who, you know, Andrew's mileage will vary, your mileage will vary, James, mine will. But that's just for what it's worth. My point about being slow to buy and slow to sell, and thanks for bringing it up, Ram, is just the idea of you've done all the work to know the company really, really well. If the thesis is busted, then it's busted, and you should sell because it's busted, right? That, that holding on after that is just—it's just hope for its own sake. But if you've chosen well and you've picked well and you've analysed well and you bought at a decent price, more often than not, if you if you're half good at that, then let the company do its thing, let time do its thing. Now, I will say to to James's point, to yours, Ram, he says the thesis not played out and no recommended sells. This is a thesis bust. In which case, I don't think that yeah. doesn't apply. The, the slow to buy, slower to sell doesn't apply to thesis busts. If you buy woolly shares because you think they're going to develop a new electric car and they don't, well, sell the shares. You know, you can hold them because you think, well, there's a good grocer, but if that's not why you bought the shares, then you really that, absolutely sell when the thesis is busted. It's busted. I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't hold to that view. So in that case, arbitrarily, I would just sell anyway. I don't, I don't think I would even think about why um, I would hold on. I would just sell. So I'm contrary to myself in that sense. Uh, my general selling slowness is, is valuation-based for all those reasons. If you pick a good enough business, they're going to probably come good. And if they're run by good people, they've got good brands, they've got good business economics, let them do their thing, right? Because they're probably going to be, and not everyone will work out, but on average, I reckon you're much better off with those sort of those sort of companies. Um, so I think I think for me, that's the view. Averaging down, I hate like you do, mate, because it's it just, it, again, it's a human, human need to add the two parcels together and work out what the average price is. And it's mm. just irrelevant, right? I've got a hundred bucks. Use the word opportunity cost or the phrase, so I, I don't have to. Mm. Um <laughs> We don't want the hundred bucks to be in the best possible opportunity. And if the price has yeah. doubled or halved since I last bought, and it still represents the best opportunity, then buy the shares. Yeah. <clears throat> the price has halved or doubled since you last bought it, and it's not a good idea. Don't buy any shares. The, mm. the fact that your average price might go up or down as a result is it's literally the outcome. It should never, ever, ever, ever be considered as an input. You know, if yeah. my average cost goes from ten dollars to eight dollars because I've averaged down, who cares? If I'm buying at mm. six and the shares go up, that's a great idea. If I buy six shares go down, it's a terrible idea. That's what the average yeah. price does. So um, I don't mean to be critical of you, James. I'm not being critical of you, but for anyone listening, averaging down is a terrible idea. Please don't do it. Um, uh, well, just it, it's not, a fantastic not, idea. It's a fantastic no, idea if nothing's right. changed and yes. the market's oh, yeah, yeah, just yeah, fallen sure. out of bed. Fill your boots, but, but right? Like we should down, all hope for it. Don't average down as an intent. Like the, 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 average, the average buy price is the result. It's the outcome. Don't yes, say, exactly. I should yeah. buy because my average price will fall. You say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I will buy because that new share price is really attractive. Yep. And the average price is the average. If, a share, if, if you bought it two, then at 10, then at four, are you averaging up or averaging mm. down? Well, A, it doesn't mm. matter. And B, mm. I don't, yeah. it doesn't matter. Like, you know, buy the shares because at $4, they're cheap. If they're not cheap at $4, don't buy them. But yep. don't, who cares what the average does? Like, I, and, and again, and I'm not criticizing you, James. It's natural. 
But every listener, get it out of your head. Don't try and average anything up or down. It doesn't matter. Yep. And, the, and another point just on that, if you don't know if it's cheap or not, the, well, the yes. answer is don't. <laughs> exactly. Yes. You, great point. Just... You, in fact, that, 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 that should be true of any, when you're yes. first buying, when you're buying for the hundredth time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. we, again, it's, it's super hard, right? Because yep. none of yep. us really know, yep. but you should be able to sort of at least articulate the case for value. Well, whatever way that makes sense to you, we've had this awesome thread on Strawman just this last week or so, people sort of talking about valuation models and right, how okay. they do this. And, and every, they're all smart, all smart people. They're all coming in at completely different ways. Yeah. And there's no right or wrong. Right. There's right. no right or wrong, right? Yeah. Our value is yeah. in the eye of the beholder. Older, but they've all got a yeah. framework for, for 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 looking at that, mm-hmm. and I've got my framework. And and it's and the important thing is is that we're thinking about it, right? And then someone posed this really hypothetical question: I've got this this company that's going to get a thirty percent return on equity from here to Kingdom Come. Starts with ten thousand dollars of capital yeah. in the business. What would you pay for it? Yeah. You know, and I came up with a value, and other people came. It was just different. It's just no one's right or wrong, but just man, the exercise itself was so supremely valuable. That's really cool. So, so I get that. It, you know, kind of a lot of people look at it and go, "Oh, this is way too hard." But all I'm saying is, think about it, because because too often, particularly for new investors, when I'm talking to them, it will be couched in, "Oh, the share price is down, therefore it's cheap. The share price is up, therefore it's expensive." And it's like completely the not way, not the, that is the worst way to look at it. That is very, very good advice. Uh, last couple of thoughts from me. Uh, David Gardner, Motley Fool co-founder, never sells his losers because his point is by the time they're down 90%, they don't matter. And so just like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just ignore them. He, he would, I don't know if it was in his mouth either, but he would basically say, look, if it's worth less than a certain proportion of your portfolio, just like, don't waste your time thinking about it. Now, you could say there's a result around, we'll just sell it and get rid of it. That's also true. He just says, well, I'm down anyway, so who cares? Um, I actually think that, that uh, honestly, if you, if you don't know, you might as well at least harvest the tax loss, quite honestly. Like for, for, for all the points you made, Andrew, about all that sort of stuff, and you're right, and don't do it, don't wash, don't sell and buy back in for the sake of it. That'll get you in trouble with the ATO. But quite literally, yeah. if you're down 90%, if you're not sure, there's a, there's a kind of a, there's a relatively instant capital loss available to you before you do anything yeah. else. And if you've got some capital gains to offset, I you should never ever let tax wag the, wag the investing dog. But at that point, it's like, well, if I don't know, and it's down, and I'm only really holding on for kind of emotional-ish reasons, Dude, there's some tax. There's some real money there. You can save tax today. That's real money if you want to do that. Save the tax and reinvest the tax savings in some in some other shares. Um, so that for me, that would actually hey, be the, the bottom line. We we really do have to wrap this up, but I've, there's do. always there's always other things I want to add. And one of the <laughs> things I want to add here this is as you, well by the way, the, adding, I, just for the I do like I do like a bit of the idea of of um, of keeping things there as a little bit of a reminder. And I yeah, know that the, yeah. the listener sort of said that. But the thing is, I would I would be careful to just to add on to that is is ask yourself when you're saying remind yourself of the mistake, actually understand what the mistake was. <laughs> yes, yeah, because that's so true. do you know what I mean? Like sometimes you can yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. you can be right for the wrong reasons, or maybe I should say you should be wrong for the right reasons and wrong for the wrong reasons, and yep. and it's, it, it's you can be right for the wrong of, reasons too, and right for the right reasons. We're channelling Donald Rumsfeld here <laughs> with all of these, these, these things. But no, no, the no, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. but, it, but, it, but it is, it is. Um, <laughs> what did it? What did I not get about yeah. this company? Yep. What was it that turned? You can't beat yourself up too much if the market just went into a bear market, or if if the the average multiples paid for a particular sector change. You know, maybe the lesson there is, well, you know, don't overpay and always have an eye to value or something. Yeah. But then I think the more interesting lessons are where, is in, where company-specific events have happened that have led to the share price decline. Mm. And that might be that, you know, uh, uh, always avoid businesses with, with, with very high levels of debt. Um, always avoid businesses that uh, where management have no skin in the game or whatever, you know, 
I shouldn't actually use the term always because there's no such thing. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. But be yeah. wary of. Uh, you'll find that just just follow that thinking through a little bit, whatever the scenario is, and ask yourself what did what was the mistake. And, and the mistake can't be that I didn't predict the future perfectly because that's always going to be true. But it, it was what could have I known at that point in time that I now see with hindsight was a mistake. In other words, had I been in, if I'm in this situation again, what am I, is possible to recognize as, as, a, as a red flag potentially yep. rather than something that I could have only realized with, with hindsight bias, if that, with, with, with perfect hindsight, if that makes sense. I love that, mate. And again, that we should do. We've done in the past. We should do more on the the kind of the Rumsfeldian approach to investing. Of you know, the right lessons, the wrong lessons, good outcomes, bad outcomes, right process, wrong process. Because so there's there's a whole lot of lessons in there, but we don't have yeah. the time. And so we hope we you enjoy the Sunday or the Monday or the Tuesday. Whenever you're listening to this podcast, we appreciate you spending time with us. As always, send us your questions, thoughts, ideas, comments, suggestions. Info at fool.com.au. You can find us on all the socials. You know where they are. And until Friday, will you join me on Friday again, mate? I can't wait. Looking forward to case, it. In case, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.